0: Alrighty everyone, welcome back to the Rare Petro Podcast. Apologies if the sound quality is a little bit different. We're actually doing this remotely today and I say we, it's myself, Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, joined by Kevin back in Colorado. How you guys doing? So for those of you who may be new to this podcast, this will be seven major basins and the state of California, all of the biggest news from those regions and uh, I guess we'll stop teasing you with it and just get right to it. First up, starting with the DJ Niobrera over in Colorado, Whiting Petroleum wraps up a $187 million exit from the DJ Basin. Whiting Petroleum Corporation has completed its previously announced exit from the Denver-Julesburg Basin, which includes a redetermination of its revolving credit facility borrowing base. Whiting's DJ Basin's holding was sold for a total cash consideration of $187 million as part of the exit, which was first announced in July. The holdings, which encompass 67,278 net acres in Colorado's Weld County and produced just over 7,000 barrels of oil equivalent on a daily basis, were sold to a private corporation. Whiting also announced an acquisition of Williston-based properties, which adjoins and complements its existing Bakken activities in the Sanish Field of North Dakota at the same time of the sale. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I know we've seen a few operators completely closing out the positions in many places, but I didn't think it would be in Weld County. I expect that they're fully exiting from the DJ basin. it's not, Oh, we're uh,
1: just trying to consolidate in certain areas. No, they're, they're totally trying to get out of Colorado, which when you look at States like, you know, California, it's not that, you know, difficult of a state to operate in. So I I kind of agree with you. It's interesting that they're totally getting out, but um, looks like they're kind of trying to do some consolidation and, and really focus on some core assets elsewhere. But up next, we've got KP Kaufman, who received their second-largest fine ever from the COGCC. After the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission determined that the oil and gas operator, KP Kaufman, had engaged in, quote, a pattern of infractions, end quote, the company's fines were increased to $2 million, the second-highest penalty ever imposed by the commission. The commission fined the corporation $1.8 million in August for 22 infractions at seven different locations, but the COGCC staff argued at a hearing this past month that the company's mistakes were not isolated instances and that aggravating multiplier would be imposed. The state's second-largest operator, Occidental Petroleum, was fined $18.25 million back in 2020 for a 2017 house explosion in Firestone that killed two individuals. Now, I do think it's important to note that at the time that was actually Anadarko, but as we all know, those two have formed
0: into Occidental Petroleum. Next, Colorado regulators are moving forward with a controversial new rule that will slash greenhouse gas emissions, or at least it aims to. Colorado air quality regulators will move forward with a first-in-the-nation rule that will limit greenhouse gas emissions from oil and gas companies based on the intensity of emissions compared to production. The Air Quality Commission voted last month to hold a hearing in December on the proposed greenhouse gas intensity target rule, which would take effect in 2023, despite resistance from uh, certain local politicians and environmental groups. The Air Pollution Control Division's proposed regulation would establish an emission limit per 1,000 barrels of oil equivalent. There would be a target for large operators and a less restrictive one for smaller operators, and... Uh, again moving things in the right direction they want to regulate the industry and be responsible but it seems lately that they're adding lots of regulatory hurdles that at the end of the day are just cutting into the profit margins of those companies and maybe like we see with whiting pushing them to leave the state see what i think's interesting here though is that there's going to be two
1: separate targets one for a large operator and one for a small operator and why this does make sense to me uh, larger operators have more of a budget to deal with and, and they can a little bit more stringent on them, I still think it should be a standard target across the board. You know, if company A has to slash emissions by X percent, I think company B should as well. Now, I I do agree with what you said. It might force other operators out of the region, but I don't necessarily think it's it's the right practice to say, oh, you're this big multinational corporation. Here's your
0: standard. Oh, you're just a small mom and pop. Here's your target, I suppose. Yeah, Kevin, I gotta say, I agree with you, percentages, the great equalizer, are, I think, the way to go. But that's all we've got for the DJ Nabrera Basins, and we'll move it on over to Wyoming, our neighbors over there, where Devon Energy Corporation has agreed to pay $6.15 million to settle claims that it broke the False Claims Act by underpaying and underreporting royalties for natural gas extracted from federal lands in Wyoming and New Mexico. In exchange for royalties on the value of the gas produced, the United States leases federal lands for natural gas extraction. Leasees are responsible for bringing the gas into marketable conditions at no cost to the U.S. Devon unlawfully withheld payments to third parties for gas transportation and processing, including costs to put the gas in marketable condition when calculating royalties, according to the settlement. Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, you did something wrong. You got caught. get slapped on the wrist. Unfortunately, the slap on the wrist is over $6 million. So I doubt they'll make a mistake like that again. And I think you said it perfectly. You know, you made a mistake, you got a slap
1: on the wrist, but I think it's important to note that, yeah, they're paying attention to these and, you know, we need to be making sure we're doing things right the first time and not trying to skirt around rules and and avoid payments to others. But up next, we've got Contango Oil and Gas Acquiring ConocoPhillips Wyoming Assets. Back in July, Contango Oil & Gas agreed to pay $67 million in cash for ConocoPhillips Wind River Basin assets up in Wyoming. Following its multi-billion dollar acquisition of Concho Resources, ConocoPhillips intends to divest about $10 billion in non-core assets over the next two years, Meanwhile, the Contango deal comes after KKR's Energy Real Assets team merged with Independent Energy LLC this past month to establish KKR's principal platform for exploring upstream oil and gas properties. Independence Energy was built and managed by KKR's team.
0: That was the end of the Powder River Basin, and now it's time we move it on over to Texas where we've got plenty of news within the Permian. First, ExxonMobil has agreed to begin the certification process for natural gas generated at its Permian Basin facility in Poker Lake, New Mexico, with the help of independent nonprofit validator MIQ. The certification is intended to legitimize Exxon's efforts to limit methane emissions from its upstream operations in the face of investor and environmental criticism, especially from activist hedge fund Engine No. 1, which won three seats on the company's board earlier this year. Because of the vast range of technology solutions currently in place, scale benefits, proximity to adjacent markets, and expansion possibilities as New Mexico production grows, ExxonMobil chose Poker Lake as its first certification site. And keeping with the emissions theme here, actually Pioneer Natural
1: Resources has set a net zero emissions goal, which CEO Scott D. Sheffield claims will keep the major U.S. shale producer as the ESG leader in this space. Following the acquisition of Parsley Energy and Double Point Energy earlier this year, the business has increased its acreage position to over 1 million net acres. Quote, we are delighted to reduce our emissions intensities, being proactive and transparent in our engagement with stakeholders and the community in which we operate, and ensuring our governance policies and performance metrics align with our ESG goals. End quote. Sheffield highlighted in a recent company release. Now, I think this is pretty cool because they're one of the First major producers in this basin to set a net zero target. I know we've seen BP set targets like this, but this is a huge producer in this area, and hopefully that's going to really set the stage for other producers to really set those ESG goals as their their peak, their goal, um, and really to allow them
0: to continue operating in these areas. Oh, I think they'll be trendsetters for sure, but maybe Diamondback Energy will also be leading the pack too because they plan to eliminate routine flaring by 2025 as well as a multitude of activities targeted at improving the Permian Basin's producers' environmental standing, kind of like the other groups we've talked about so far. The new target builds on Diamondback's previously announced Net Zero Now initiative, under which all hydrocarbon molecules produced by the company from January 1st, 2021, will have Net Zero Scope One emissions achieved through the purchase of carbon offsets, while the company's Scope One emissions footprint is reduced. From 2019 to 2020, Diamondback claimed it had already cut flaring quantities on its Permian position by about 58%. Another great story here, people looking to make a positive difference. And I mean, here it's just spending money to offset carbon credits and production. So uh, I guess that money is going to go back into other programs and have a direct benefit, but good on them for taking the initiative to be, I suppose, socially relevant.
1: Absolutely. And I think down the road, that's going to increase from just that scope one emissions to scope two, and maybe even scope three down the road. But I, I do think it's important that they're doing this with the purchase of carbon offsets. Um, but again, it steps in the right direction. It's where we need to be heading as an industry. So I think this is all good news and we'll
0: keep you updated as this story advances. But keeping it in Texas, just moving on over to the Eagleford, Warwick Investment Group has agreed to buy Rosewood Resources Incorporated's Eagleford properties as the Global Investment Group tries to capitalize on a growing opportunity in the oil market. Warwick said that it's reached a deal with Rosewood Resources to acquire the operating oil and gas assets in Texas, which will be offset by Warwick Athena, a business managed by Warwick Investment Group. Though the terms of the deal were not disclosed, the firm stated that the combined purchase price and anticipated development capital represents a $450 million investment in the Eagleford for the company, which that's no small investment, especially for somewhere like the Eagleford. I was about to say that, Tavis. I mean, think of all the stories that we've
1: had for the Eagleford for the past six months. It's been maybe three, four total.
0: (laughs) All the stories, yeah, the
1: lack thereof. Exactly. And so I think it's great that they're finally investing in this really key asset down here, um, and so I'm, I'm excited, and I'm definitely going to be tracking this one as it moves forward. But enough of that. Let's talk about PHX Minerals and adding to their Haynesville position with multiple acquisitions, including one here in the Eagleford. PHX Minerals is expanding their Haynesville presence with a pair of acquisition agreements for assets controlled by some of the shale's top producers. According to this statement, PHX Minerals has entered into agreements to acquire certain mineral and royalty assets totaling approximately 817 net royalty acres in East Texas and Louisiana for cash and shares in two distinct transactions. The name of the buyers and sellers are not being revealed, but the purchase assets have estimated reserves of 8.5 billion cubic feet of gas and are now producing 0.62 million cubic feet of gas per day. There are conditionally 46 PDP gross wells, 15 gross wells in progress, and an estimated 149 gross undrilled locations included in this deal. Wow, what, what is this, the most planned activity we've seen for this location in the past two, three years? Yeah, It's got to be something like that. So again, it's, it's nice to see that people are starting to recognize
0: how key of an asset this can be for their corporation. And then next, Crescent Pass announced several of the purchases that signal the company's debut into the Eagleford sale. Wow, more people coming in. Crescent Pass announced the completion of the acquisition of producing assets in the Northern Eagleford Play from Tulsa, Oklahoma-based Armor Energy, LLC, as well as three bolt-on acquisitions in the Cotton Valley trend in East Texas. According to a press release, the deals raised Crescent Pass's corporate footprint to 974 operated wells and net production to roughly 6,400 barrels of oil equivalent per day, evenly split between oil and natural gas. More than 140,000 net HBP acres in various counties across Texas and Louisiana sustain these assets. So, wow, uh, this is... The most good news we've had in well over a year for the Eagleford. I'm happy that prices are in a spot where people can start pursuing some action. Enough of the Eagleford. Let's take you guys over to the scoop stack where
1: U.S. crude stocks at Oklahoma's Cushing Hub dropped by over 40%. According to the new results by the Energy Information Administration, U.S. crude oil stocks at the Cushing Storage Hub in Oklahoma are down more than 40% since the start of 2021. According to the EIA's major five-year average, crude oil stocks at Cushing, the crude oil delivery point for the WTI crude futures contract, and home to 14% of U.S. commercial tank and underground crude operational storage capacity, are now 26% lower than average the storage withdrawals and Cushing are consistent with high crude oil inventory withdrawals elsewhere in the United States and globally in recent months the EIA noted in a September 21st report
0: and this is something we've been speaking about in a lot of our content lately i mean not only is it a little bit lower for the time period but it dropped from a very high point from an oversupply to an undersupply in really less than a year so that's why these shocks are causing oil prices to go up so high and I- I think it's a matter of time until gas goes up too, because there's not a lot of storage built up there either.
1: No, absolutely. And I, and I think that the more impressive number to me isn't the fact that the the crude stocks have gone down 40% since the tar to 2021, but the fact that they're 26% lower than the five-year average. That, to me, is the real eye-opener because fact of the matter is we were way too high at the start of 2021 with our uh, crude stocks. So it's not that much of a surprise that they're down significantly significantly. What is shocking is that we're 26% or a quarter lower than the five-year
0: range is at. So, again, we'll see where this takes us. Next, the carbon footprint of reciprocating engines in the oil and gas business continues to grow, whether for a natural gas pipeline or an offshore production platform. I mean, we got engines pushing fluid everywhere. Engineers from the University of Oklahoma determined that by reducing emissions from natural gas engines by 70%, they may be able to reduce pollution. Dr. Kazanpour, who is an assistant professor at the Gallagher College of Engineering School of Aerospace and Mechanical Engineering is leading their project, Low-Cost Retrofit Kit, for Integral Reciprocating Compressors to Reduce Emission and Improve Efficiency. Another long project name. According to him, the study's primary goal is to lower emissions from these oil and gas components, and I think this is great. I just wish there was a little bit more details because the claim of if we do lower emissions from these engines, we lower the amount of carbon they put out yeah, that makes sense. but how are you gonna do it? Well, tell you what Tavis if you need a doctorate degree just to pronounce
1: these projects, <laughs> I think it's some pretty intense math and engineering that's going to go into these so I agree with you though I think it's a really cool concept, but I wish that there was more data that they can currently release to to really kind of back up these claims because it it seems you know too simplistic and good to be true so uh, again, it's a
0: story we'll keep you guys updated on but that wraps things up in that area. Not a ton of news in Oklahoma this month, but we've got some news from California, which is where I happen to be right now. So I'll kick it off with really some riveting news. Los Angeles County voted unanimously to prohibit oil and gas drilling, which will result in the closure of 1,600 active dormant wells. Now, keep in mind, this story happened well before that spill on Huntington Beach, so that had nothing to do with the situation, but it certainly hasn't helped anyone who's trying to fight that decision. The California Independent Petroleum Association opposed the referendum, claiming that it would result in the loss of hundreds of jobs, higher gas costs, and increase California's reliance on foreign oil. The state imports over 70% of the oil it needs. It is also the country's leading consumer of jet fuel and gasoline. According to EIA data, California accounted for 17% of U.S. jet fuel use and 11% of motor gasoline consumption in 2019, the last normal year of fuel demand because 2020 was a statistical anomaly. But I see why people are concerned. I do think this will drive energy prices up because if you're relying more and more on foreign oil and you need that oil and the price does go up, I mean, that's going to get passed on directly to consumers.
1: Absolutely, and it's... It's something that we're seeing right now. I mean, I, everyone's been seeing it. The price of gasoline is going up. The price of natural gas is going up. And that's because, plain and simple, supply is being way outpaced by demand. So if this continues in California, that's just going to get worse. Prices are going to go higher. And kind of like Tavis said, it's just going to be passed along through to the consumer. But moving on, we're going to talk about Kern County, where Tavis is actually at right now. Kern County claims that Governor Gavin Newsom and other state officials have been improperly delaying or preventing the issuing of permits for oil and gas development, employing specific extraction technologies including fracking, in a federal complaint filed on Monday. The plaintiff, the state's largest oil and gas producing region, argues that Newsom has acted arbitrarily in preventing oil and gas extraction processes such as hydraulic fracturing and high-pressure cyclic steam injection. According to the county, Newsom even fired a state officer for enforcing the law in a way that went against his professed values.
0: Whoa, I I don't know about that last part there. That sure sounds like a tyrant, but hey, we don't talk about politics here. We just talk about how if Kern County loses out on a lot of this production, a lot of people's jobs and the food on the table and the families they have to support will be hurt. But that is all for California. Keeping it crazy, that's what we like to see. keeps us on our toes and entertained. But next, we're going to move it over to the Marcellus, where Penn East pipeline announced that it would halt the construction of a natural gas pipeline it planned to build from Pennsylvania to New Jersey due to a lack of licenses. Despite receiving federal authority to build the pipe in 2018, Penn East claims it has yet to secure some licenses, including the New Jersey Water Quality Certification. Several gas pipelines projects in the United States Northeast have been stalled by state authorities in recent years. That's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. You can do all this work, and although sometimes these organizations are out to get you, you don't get the one license that is crucial to finish the project, and you just really have to cancel that pipeline. It sucks. The investors are going to be upset, but really, we can't just steamroll local authorities. Couldn't have put it better
1: myself, Tavis. Up next in the Western District of Pennsylvania, Rockdale Marcellus LLC filed voluntary applications for relief under Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. In 2017, Rockdale Marcellus was founded with the purchase of Shell's operational Marcellus Holdings in Pennsylvania's Tioga, Lycoming, and Bradford counties. EOG Resources' Marcellus Holdings were purchased by the business back in 2020. Rockdale Marcellus owns and operates 66 producing wells, on a 48,000 gross acre continuous land position with a 100% working interest. As of March 2021, the company's total production
0: was 110,000 cubic feet per day. Next, Cabot Oil and Gas Corporation and Cimarex Energy Company shareholders agreed to merge, creating one of the major oil and gas businesses in the United States. I'm sure you've heard of both of those companies individually. Unlike most previous oil and gas acquisitions, which have been between businesses with usually overlapping footprints, the merger brings together Cabot's gas-rich Marcellus Shale properties in the United States' northeast and Simrex's oil-heavy acres in the Permian Basin of West Texas. The corporations estimated the merged entity's enterprise value to be around $17 billion in May. The deal is scheduled to close in the fourth quarter of 2021 this company
1: that is going to result out of this is going to be massive and what i think is actually pretty interesting is the fact that they're really bringing two completely different viewpoints on the oil and gas industry into one you know you would think that if you're combining companies you would want to focus on oh you know we're we're focused in california where we're trying to extract this very heavy oil or oh we're trying to go in texas where there's this light sweet oil or oh we want to go to the marcellus to produce gas but instead it's these two mega corporations that have eyes on completely different ends of the spectrum forming together into one giant shale company. So I think it's actually going to be pretty interesting, the dynamic that this company moves
0: forward with into the future. But that is all we've got for the Marcellus, and we'll just move it on over to our last basin of this podcast, the Bakken, where the Dakota Access Project has petitioned the United States Supreme Court to reconsider whether the largest pipeline out of North Dakota oil field needed further environmental review. Last year, the United States District Court for the District of Columbia canceled the pipeline's primary environmental permit and ordered a new environmental study. Following months of demonstrations by environmentalists, Native American tribes, and their supporters, the pipeline was put into service in 2017. Opponents claim that the project desecrated ancient artifacts and endangered Lake Oahe, a vital drinking source, as well as the Great Missouri River. And I know we just talked about, hey, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes, but this is definitely a pipeline that uh, I think had more challenges than most. And that's why another environmental review is kind of upsetting the company and they're definitely pushing back. Yeah, it's it's a never-ending battle for these guys. It's
1: ever since the idea of this pipeline was put into place, there's been opposition and it's been nonstop. It's, it hasn't been, Oh, we're up and running. You know, clearly we're, we're have ESG on the front of our minds. No, it's, if this thing's up and running, people are going to be pissed off. So I, I really do feel for the Dakota access pipeline because they've proven in four different environmental studies that they're doing everything they can and they're operating in a responsible manner, but clearly it's not enough. And they've, being asked to do it again. So I really feel for these guys. But up next, Comstock Resources, owned by Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, has agreed to sell its Bakken resource assets to Northern Oil and Gas for $154 million in order to raise finance. To offset investor pressure, oil and gas companies have been trying to sell assets to take advantage of rising commodity prices as well as strengthen cash reserves on their balance sheets for dividends and buybacks. The sale includes a non-operated working interest of over 400 wells with a daily production rate of approximately 4,500 net barrels of oil equivalent. The divestiture is expected to result in a pre-tax
0: loss of $130 million to $140 million, according to Comstop. I wonder what they're going to take that money to, because they certainly don't need it for the Cowboys this season, so it's got to go back into some other oil and gas projects. But... And our last story for the podcast, Whiting Petroleum, although they did make exits in Colorado, they completed the purchase of extra net acres in Montreal County for an estimated $271 million from an unknown seller. That's more than what they were able to gain for their divestment in Colorado. The purchase will add 61 new drilling locations to Whiting's Bakken portfolio, but will have no effect on present production. Assuming a two-rig drilling program at $50 oil, this extends the company's top-tier drilling inventory by six years. Whiting sold its Colorado holdings in the denver julesburg basin, valued at about $187 million to help pay for this acquisition. Whiting used its $750 million revolving loan to cover the net difference of the sale, which was estimated to be about $90 million, so not too bad, especially if oil prices are able to sustain themselves. And yeah, like Tavis
1: said, prices are on the rise now, so maybe that is going to be ratcheted down to
0: mm, hardly over a million. Who knows? But like we mentioned, that is the end of this podcast. If you didn't quite get your news fixed, these are written online, too. You can have them delivered straight to your inbox with plenty of other data and statistics. If you want something else, something new, we've got that, too. You can go to www.rarepetro.com, and you can find plenty of content that we've been producing for quite some time now. I mean, I guess I'll have been here for two years soon, and there was already content before that. So we make great predictions we look at specific trends and we give you something to take away from each piece so you can walk away a little smarter and a little more informed but i think that's all i got anything else from you kevin i'm just hoping you're doing well down there in california tavis oh we're having a great time i mean i know you got some snow up there but it's nice and sunny here and i'm kind of enjoying it but thank you everybody for tuning in and until we see you next time take care everybody